The phrase often goes around that blood is thicker than water. And one of the ways people use this phrase is to mean that right, a family relationship of sorts, a genetic relationship, uh, is more important than relationships made by baptism. Indeed, that's sort of the force of why the phrase came about. In other words, when perhaps a family member does something wrong, they might say, hey, blood is thicker than water to let you know that they expect you to be on their side just because they are your family. Although churchly commitments ask you to be committed to the right thing, whoever may be involved. But I want us to think about what it actually means to be a family. What it means to be bound together with an unbreakable bond as the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 12 to 31 is about why God has gifted his church with people who have diverse gifts. And I think we do need to think about it in in those terms, right? It's not just that there are multiple kinds of gifts in the church. God has gifted his church with different kinds of people who are good at different things, have different capabilities. The most striking thing is that the... that. That very reason for having many types of gifts is to make a unified church. You see that already in the passage? You're supposed to come together because you can't do it by yourself. I've gifted you in diverse ways so that you would be joined in one body, helping one another. And so our main point tonight is very simple. It's just that being a Christian is a family affair. Being a Christian is a family affair. The beauty of this point is that it is in itself a theological principle and a practical application right there bound together. You are a family in this church. So we need to learn to live more and more like a family. Each day. And so we're going to consider this in three points. A family foundation, family function, and family formation. So first, let's think about the family foundation. And so what we're going to do here is outline a foundation, the starting points for thinking about the unity of the church, considering how we're very different. Right? In other words, what ties us together? And that's what we're trying to unpack here. With so many people of such different personalities, dreams, goals, ethnicities, ways of thinking and, and ways of going about life, what is God doing putting all of us together? Right? And so we really just want to focus for now on verses 12 and 13 to show the Spirit is the great unifying factor in making us one family. So we're going to kind of just focus on a, a premise for this point. We're, going to, we're, we're then going to illustrate it and apply it as we move ahead in the next two points, but we're really just trying to to get at that one idea that the Spirit is the unifying factor here. So we saw last time 
right last Sunday night we were in this book and we looked at the first half of this chapter where Paul was starting this uh, discussion about gifts and how people should think about them in worship. And so this chapter addresses a confusion over spiritual gifts, recalibrating how the Corinthians were measuring gifts for who had the more prestigious one, rather than understanding that all gifts that people have are meant for the common good of the church. The variety of gifts are not for us individually to get special attention, nor for our personal experience, nor even for you at all. Right? The diversity of gifts are is about building up the church, meaning we we need the variety. We we need underline I guess need there. We need the variety to work, to function properly as a church. We we need each other. And in this body, no one, no one, no one is expendable or extra. So we read Paul's profound statements in verses 12 and 13. For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So first, when when Paul says that we are all baptized in one spirit, he means the spirit is the thing poured on us, right? Just as we are baptized by water, in water, when water is sprinkled on us, we are baptized in the Spirit when the Spirit Himself is poured into our hearts. Right? This further uh, confirms, or this this follows upon at least, the point that we had seen last time back up in in verses 1 to 3, that the experience of the Spirit working faith in us That is the common, necessary Christian experience. We are all baptized with the Spirit, poured into each of our hearts. Some suggest Spirit baptism may be some second blessing that only some higher-tier Christians experience, but it seems clear here that Paul was saying that every believer receives the Spirit. He, the the Spirit Himself, is our binding factor in the church. And I hope we see how this is a deeply unifying thing to consider. All All the spiritual gifts are in fact spiritual because they come from the Spirit. The Spirit living in us as believers. And, and all the, the varieties of gifts come from one and the same Spirit. Whatever your gift, right? Whatever you, you bring, whatever contribution you make to the body of Christ, all of these things manifest the Spirit at work in different kinds of people. We don't, we don't get to, we don't, we're not allowed to, we don't have the right 
to disregard any of the gifts, any anything else that God has equipped any one of us to do because they all come from the divine spirit. And God has given us on the basis of Christ's work for us. Very special people, in other words, have, have those gifts because everyone with a spiritual gift drinks of the Spirit of God. And so the family foundation is simply the Holy Spirit himself. He is our unifying factor, the family foundation that each of us who trust in Christ have uh, God's Spirit in our hearts. We are all equals in the, in the highest way in the house of God. Because there's no way to decide whose gift is a better way to, to recognize the third person of the Trinity at work among us. God at work among his people is a, an amazing thing regardless of the way that it expresses itself in a gift. And so we come to our second point, family functions. So so far, kind of what we've what we've hashed out is that the the spirit is the single source of of all the gifts in in the church at, at work within Christ's body, making the spirit the the bedrock, the the foundation, starting point of our relationship, our unity together. And so we've highlighted how all the gifts are valuable. In that respect. And this point is just showing how every person who has those gifts is then valuable within the body of Christ. If we can't disregard any of the things that people do as members of the church, then neither can we disregard any people who do those things, who exercise those gifts. So, here's our first avenue of application. Let's put it that way. So so pride, pride is a sin that I think easily overtakes us as individuals and at times even as as a church. I mean, just generally speaking, I'm not necessarily talking about our congregation. Just Pride, however, it can take a lot of different forms, can't it? I mean, pride is good at, at changing costumes and playing a lot of different characters in our lives. And the specific expression of pride that this passage highlights is the tendency to think that we're better than those around us. We've seen that that's kind of the issue going on for the church in Corinth, is that they want to rank the gifts to see who's more prestigious. And so there's divisions. And we have to be on guard for this pride because we so easily start measuring ourselves against others, don't we? I mean, this is, this is the easiest thing in the world, I think, to fall into doing. The sinful heart, because it's sinful, because we know we're guilty, because we know we're deficient in so many ways, because we know we're broken, the sinful heart is full of insecurity. Isn't it? Instead, of, in, in the face of that, instead of running to Christ to find our worth and our value. We try to stack up a better resume than the person next to us. 
And if we don't see in that instance when we, when our sin kicks in and we, and we start to work that way, if we don't see ways that we think we're better, we, we kind of just lie to ourselves about it, don't we? We invent reasons that we're better than others and we get angry with them, with someone else when we see their strengths. I mean, have you, have you ever wondered why insults are kind of just a, a really common occurrence in like every aspect of our lives? Like we, we have this tendency, and I think it's inaccurate, to, to talk about insults like they are children's, a children's activity. We say things like young, young people can be so cruel. Kids can be so mean. Is it, is it really just young people? Old, in my assessment of this is that old people don't insult each other any less. They're probably just better at doing it. It's more subtle. You can't respond quite as instinctively. We hit a certain age, don't we? And it isn't socially acceptable anymore to get our, our feelings like really hurt. And so we just bury the injuries instead of fighting back. It's not that people have quit insulting us, is it? It's not that we, we don't know that people are, are talking about us behind our backs or coming up with reasons to complain about us. What's changed in our lives is that we just accept. We own up to the fact that people are unloving, conniving, and kind of just frankly mean, right? Insults are so common. Sometimes even in Christ's church. Because we need a way to feel better about ourselves. If we tear that person down, which is exactly what the Corinthians were doing, my gift is better than yours. Your gift is lower on the rank. If we, if we can tear that person down, we can set ourselves just a little bit higher, can't we? At least in our own minds. And that... The fact that this need to tear each other down for our own sake um, is such a wretched sin is is highlighted by how in in every part of our lives we we have to work with other people we need them right if we if we work with computers you need the guy at the power plant to keep the lights Running. If you're a salesman, you need the people who deliver the products you've sold. If you're a surgeon, you need the people who make the scalpel sharp enough to do its work. Whatever we do, whatever our task may be, we need others. And our body is kind of a perfect illustration of this, which is why Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, reaches for that. You know, what would you think of? Right, you go home tonight, you walk in, what do you think? You walk in the house, and there around your table, all the, all the chairs wind up around filled with just piles of different kinds of body parts. That's not very nice. 
a stack of hands, a pile of ears, a bucket of eyeballs. That's disgusting. We don't want that because it's gross. It's a distortion. It's an abuse of what the human body is supposed to be. We want whole people fully composed at our table. And that brings us right into the meat of our passage, doesn't it? Paul says, writes in, in verses 21 to 25, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. All the parts work together in the body to make a well-functioning church. The family function is to work together, is to love each other, is to use our gifts for the benefit of someone else, for the common good, to further the life of the congregation. The family function is our, indeed, need for one another. And so it is that we should see each other as blessings and strive to be blessings to one another. That brings us to our final point, family formation. And so really what we've done, we've established the premise that this this unity in the church is, is founded in the spirit and how all believers, that is our binding uh, factors that we all share this common experience of being brought to faith by the Spirit. And then we've looked at how this is an in- integral part of church life. And now what we want to do is, is just think about how we work this out some. How, how can we put some hands and feet to it? So we're thinking about working together to build up the body of Christ. So, right, if we, all of us here clearly uh, are, are huge into going to the gym, so we walk into the gym, it's full of weights, uh, treadmills, and all the workout machines, and, and all around us we, we see fit people able to do really impressive things. And so what are we going to do if we're trying to figure out the best way to become like that? Well, you go to the biggest, strongest-looking guy and ask him or her, so how do I get so strong? In other words, you, you look for someone powerful and you ask them, well, how do I get power? What do I do to become like you? Now, this guy is really going to say one thing, a, a two, two-pronged single thing. I... I work really hard. I plan my workouts to increase my fitness uh, in the most efficient ways. And I meticulously manage my diet so that I have all the nutrients I need for my 
developing muscles. So it always boils down, doesn't it, to our frustration to diet and exercise. And perhaps not surprisingly, as, as we think about developing the body of Christ, strengthening his body, kind of the same principle still holds. Well, what do we need to do? We need the proper diet, and we need to work it out the right way. Because it's, it's kind of funny, isn't it? Like we, we have these exercises where I want to, I want to pick up a really heavy thing, so I'm going to practice picking up heavy things until I get better at it. So if you want to do that, you kind of just have to do it until you increase in your ability. And so you see where this is going as we think about being together as the church. Right, so that God's people, as the people of God, need spiritual diet and spiritual exercise. That's really the key to a fit church, isn't it? And so how do we do this? How do, how do we grow the church stronger and healthier? And what, what forms? What's our formation? What forms the church? And so first, we maintain a solid spiritual diet. How do we do that? Well, the primary meal of the body of Christ is the preached word of God in Lord's Day worship. Now, I want to think about that. That statement isn't going to shock anyone here. And that's probably a pretty normal statement. But I want to think about it a little bit more so that we can appreciate it in connection to what we're considering in terms of church unity. Right? In some ways, like it's, it seems like an odd thing, doesn't it? God has appointed for uh, a man to come up here, read a book that's thousands of years old, and then talk about it. That isn't the most obvious strategy, but God in his providence has promised to bless this, for which we're thankful. Now, so God has said, He will use the preached word to change his people. Even when sermons, and we we think about coming together, when we think about why is this unifying, even even when sermons don't specifically address the sin you're dealing with, the issue that's giving you uh, struggle at the moment, God is using the continual exposure to the preached word to shape and cleanse believers' Hearts. And here's the connection to our text. We receive that diet together. Right now, let's be really concrete about this. Right now, uh, we are all in the same room, even me. We're kind of at two different ends of the sermon. But we're here together with the same sermon. Same, like, right? The same sermon ringing about us. And we all come here each week having walked very different paths, being probably ingrained in very different mindsets, being exposed to very different messages, and having heard very different things, pulling for our attention, pulling for our affection in the world. And that is that... All of that is one reason why the preached word here 
differs from like your individual Bible study. As good and as good and needed as that may be. But here in these moments, we all come together with the same text, right? Pushing us, I mean, because one person is explaining it, pushing us toward the same application and the same confession of Christ together. So within a divided world of competing messages, of of things competing for your love and affection, of your commitment, here we're pulled back to the same thing. We are shaped as Christ's body as we sit under the word together, reminded of how we each equally come to the same Christ for grace and journey together through this life as God's people. God's word is our diet teaching us how to be Christ's body and teaching us about our head, Christ himself. So we've thought about spiritual diet. So after that, though, second, we, we strengthen the body through spiritual exercise. Which, as I kind of already hinted, given away the ending a little bit, we do simply, how do, how do we be together? How do we be good at being together as the church? Well, we spend time together and get better at it. Just like you want to keep all of your body parts together, connected to the same body, working within your body, well, the body parts of Christ's body need to be kept together. Paul Paul wrote in verses 14 to 20, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I I do not belong to the body, That would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The foot has to be on the leg for us to run, right? The eye has to be connected to the brain to see. The hand has to have fingers to grasp and move things. All the parts work together to make life good. And so our family formation is the purposeful growing together for the common good. And I think that, I, I really think that Christians love this idea until we have to do it. Like, it sounds like a really beautiful thing, the unity of the church, accepting people when we don't see eye to eye, coming together, and then you have somebody in church who disagrees with you, and you're like, that was great, 
except now I've got to practice it. I think that that's actually where we're strengthened in church unity. We may see differently on a, a spectrum of issues, right? And there is the Christian consensus about, about things. The Bible speaks very plainly to certain things. Application sometimes is difficult. And so as you differ from your brother or sister, just embrace it. It's okay. You don't have to agree on economics, politics, you know, whatever it may be, the best music, whatever, culturally speaking, whatever it is. It's fine that we're here together and we lean in to learning from one another and being bettered by exposure, by being together. And so family formation is the work that we do to strengthen our relationships and to encourage and build up one another as brothers and sisters. God is glorified in this because he is the one authoring this unity among us, even though he brings it about through through uh, in us as we work together and love one another in our own tasks. Still, God uses our activities as the church to be the author of our unity. And that brings us full circle back to blood is thicker than water. As God authors the unity of the church, the thing is that the family of God that God creates by knitting us together under baptism is in fact stronger than biological links. And yet, yet, we've said, okay, maybe water is thicker than blood, and yet... There is precious blood behind that water, isn't there? To make it thick. The blood of Christ is that which which washes away our sin. The blood of Christ shed at the cross makes us righteous in God's sight. And it is that cleansing blood that that baptism signifies. It is Christ's work. That then makes us one body, one blood, under one baptism, in one spirit, and binds us as one family. Today, this day, our celebration of the Lord's Day is in fact simply, isn't it, a family reunion. And we get to hold it every week to celebrate our eldest Brother, the Lord Jesus, who's given you life and has given you a family. Let's pray. Father God, we know that the world in the week ahead will pull us in many directions. As individuals, even perhaps on our own, we will be pulled in many different ways in the days ahead. But God, we do pray that you use these moments where we have been together in your word, which through your one spirit you've promised to use for the benefit, the building up of your church, we we ask, God, that you would bind us together in heart, mind, and affection, that you would bind us together in faith as we 
as we turn now to Christ to celebrate him, as we trust in him anew for the forgiveness of our sins, as we trust in him anew to work in us, to help us in the things ahead. God, we pray that you would work this unity in us. A type of sameness, although we are very different. That we are bound together, bound together for the common good, to use what you have gifted each one of us to, to be good at doing, that we might help and bless and be a blessing to our brothers and sisters. And so we pray that this helps us to think of even the person sitting next to us as precious. Precious not just in the sight of God, but precious as a contribution to our lives. Because we see the work of Christ there. We see the empowering of the Spirit there. We know we're helped by each other. And so we pray that that would help us to love our times together and be encouraged for the days ahead. We pray these things for Christ's sake. Amen.